and welcome to Cows on the Couch by Life Sense Health. I'm Nikki Lanza, and on this episode, I'm really, be, I'm really delighted to talk with Emily Moore, one of our senior clinical directors on the topic of integrated behavioral health care. So Emily, so good to talk with you today. Thanks for having me, Nikki. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I am, I'm a psychologist by profession. I have been working in integrated behavioral health for almost the last decade. Um, my family and I moved out to Illinois at, in 2020, and I started in 2021, beginning of 2021, in my current role as senior clinical director. Um, but prior to that, I was in Massachusetts, and I was a regional director of integrated care. So my responsibilities out there were both providing services in an integrated behavioral health capacity. I was actually situated within a primary care practice where I saw patients from the primary care practice, did behavioral health with them, um, and, and helped them build and establish their um, integrated behavioral health offerings to the community, which was really fun. And that's what led me to the, the, the place that I'm at right now, the role that I'm in right now, which is helping LifeStance to build its integrated behavioral health uh, programs in a, a larger, more national scale. So to jump in, tell us a little bit more about what is integrated healthcare. So integrated healthcare basically means when you bring professionals from different disciplines together to really collaborate and work together for the best treatment outcomes for a patient. And, and it includes also the patient. So it's you know patient-centered care, but different disciplines coming together to be informed um, by one another in how they how they work with and for the patient. So it could be primary care working with um, uh, orthopedics, or it could be dermatology and podiatry coming together. Um, but in, you know, I'm a psychologist. So for me, integrated care means bringing behavioral health into other spheres of healthcare and usually primary care, but not always. So what does that look like to integrate behavioral health into those other aspects of healthcare? Oh gosh, it can look a lot of different ways. Um, we could have a very long conversation about all the different models of integrated behavioral health care. Uh, the ones that are the ones that are most central to the work that I've done are, are something called the primary care behavioral health model. I'll tell you a little bit about that. There's yeah. also something that's similar that's called the collaborative care model, similar but but very different. But but basically what it means is that um, first of all, a little bit of background. Yeah. When people go and see their doctors, their primary care doctors, about 60, 70, oh, it's probably more like 70% of the time, what they're going in with actually has some behavioral component to it, whether it's stress related or, you know, lifestyle behavior, smoking, diet, things like that. Um, there's a component of what they're going to their doctor for that has a, a behavioral, emotional, cognitive component to it. and Primary care doctors are not usually the most well-trained to cope with those things. So, so the idea would be if we actually bring some behavioral health services into the setting where people go when they have a behavioral health need. I mean, most people, if they're feeling depressed or anxious, the first person they talk to is their family doctor, right? right. Their, their doctor. Right. 
So if you bring behavioral health to those doctors and this make behavioral health a part of the team of people that's just always available to help those patients, it really does help, number one, the patient get the care that they really do need and what they're looking for. It helps the the provider, the doctor feel like, oh my gosh, there's somebody on my team who can help me deal with this Mm -hmm. rather than I've got this person in my exam room crying, I'm getting behind, right? So so what we do when we bring behavior in the primary care behavioral health model, the, the therapist or the behavioral health specialist is just another member of the primary care team who can get brought in on any, any primary care visit, like, hey, Dr. Moore, can you step in here? Um, Sally Jones was just telling me that she was feeling really anxious. It's giving her some stomach, stomach uh, upset. And so I was thinking maybe you could help her with some strategies to manage that. So actually the intervention for the problem that the patient comes in for to see their doctor is a behavioral health intervention. And we can step in and provide that. That's great. It sounds like to me, it's like the missing piece that's been missing all along for, you know, really even looking at merging, you know, physical health and mental health together as like, it's all important, you know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We like to we like to say like it goes all the way back to Descartes, right? You've got the Cartesian dualism, mind body split. Exactly. It's, and it's funny because a lot of primary some primary care doctors really get it and they are very holistic. And then there are some primary care doctors who we joke, you know, my I and my colleagues will joke like, "Oh, the the patient was leaking from the eyes. I don't know what to do with that bodily fluid." You know, it's like the if it happens from here up, it's um, they, they aren't quite sure what to do. That's not entirely true, but but yes, definitely. We we help to make healthcare more holistic. It's the entire person, um, you know, mind, body, emotion, spirit, all in one package. So um, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like in that way, it's a very noble, it's a very noble branch of behavioral health work, you know. For sure, for sure. You mentioned another model, too, for uh, behavioral health integration. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us more about that model, too? Yeah. So the collaborative care model is um, similar in some ways to what I just described and also different. Um, It's it's a very research-based model. Um, You can look it up from the University of Washington, the AIMS model, A-I-M-S, um, and basically what it is, is they uh, they identify patients who are who fit a certain criteria. Oftentimes it's depression. So they'll get screened. A PHQ-9 is frequently the tool that they'll use to screen. And if a patient screens positive on that, they'll be asked if they'd like to participate in the collaborative care model program. Ah. If they want to participate, they're put on a registry where they're they're tracked. So then they are um, they meet with or, or or have conversations with someone who's identified as a care manager. Sometimes that person is a nurse. Sometimes that person is a therapist. But that care manager sort of helps the patient like do some kind of behavioral health interventions. Maybe we'll do some behavioral activation. Really helps them sort of identify things they can do to get better. But they keep rescreening them. And they keep uh, identifying like, okay, are they getting better? Do we need to change their treatment plan? And they're doing that in service of helping the primary care provider um, measure how well is a medication working? So I'm going to give this patient a medication. How well is it working? Are they getting better? Are they not getting better? And then the therapist will, or the care manager will also work with a consulting psychiatrist. So it's this kind of this triangle model where the PCP 
the care manager, the consulting psychiatrist, and then the patient in the middle are all working together to to make sure that the meds are in exactly the right spot, to make sure that the treatment intervention is at the right level. And and the PCP doesn't have to do it alone. They've got these other people who are really helping to, to watch how the scores are changing, to watch how the patient's functioning is changing with the with the goal of getting them back to, to baseline functioning, right? We want to get you back to where you were and get you on your way. Right. I, and I like that it's a, it's a team approach. Well, previously, yeah. I think it was probably the primary care physician as the sole island of, of providing all the, the delivery of services. So definitely to look at it as a team approach wrapped around that patient. I, I think exactly. even as a patient, that would feel more warm and fuzzy that my yeah. different kind of team members are all communicating with one another. Yeah, I agree. I think that patients who have participated in in integrated behavioral health model really do feel that. They really feel like these are humans who really care about me and they're talking to one another. There's relationships that these providers have with one another that are all about just helping me feel better. And so it really, it really does feel like I've got a whole team, you know, trying to help lift me up. And, uh, you know, it, it also makes it more challenging for people to say to one doctor, uh, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm struggling with substances, but please don't tell my doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right. You know, so there are ways in which it can be challenging, but ultimately it really is in service of the patient getting far better care, more holistic care, um, and, and having a team of people on their side. So I know one of the many jobs you do here at LifeSans is to lead this charge of how to help LifeSans as a whole to move in this direction for probably all us clinicians to be more integrated with the care, the medical care, and melding together that mental health care. Can you give me an example of how you specifically do that in your own work or in the region where you're working out of, which I believe is Chicago out of Illinois? Do you guys have a set program that you are currently doing that? Yeah, so I'm I'm not working with programs that are currently running in Illinois. Actually, I, I physically live here, but my okay. my um, my focus is on some programs that we have running in California, and also one okay. that we have running in Texas and Florida. Ah, um, got you. Yeah, so really, what we're doing is trying to well, not trying. We are. We built these relationships with with some pretty large medical practices. One of the programs I'm working with is with a renal care program. So it's actually a specialty group, not primary care. And the other program I'm working with is primary care. And we are, we've built a team of behavioral health providers who are specifically spending time creating access for these patients, right? So patients are coming either from the Um, the primary care setting, or they're coming from the renal care setting. And we have a team of folks who are ready to see those patients who will do what we call a behavioral health consultation. So they bring them in, they do a very focused evaluation. Hey, your doctor said you're struggling with this. Let's look at what that's, what's going on for you. So they, you know, they find out what kind of um, symptoms the patient has, how those symptoms are, are impairing their functioning. Like I'm not doing as well with my relationships as I was. I'm not doing as well with my you know, keeping up with my healthcare as I was, whatever. Um, and really then identifying like, okay, let's let's find a treatment plan. Let's find out what specific things we can do to move the needle on those symptoms that are bringing you in. What ends up happening is that we create a treatment plan that's meant to be briefer in nature. It's It's really meant to be, if you think about your primary care doctor is the person who is there when, yeah, you know, like 
take two pills and call me in the morning. Like, okay, here's the problem. I'm going to help you solve it. I'm going to help support you in, in being as well as possible. Um, but it's sort of like keeping the smaller problems at bay. Let's make sure that we keep uh, yeah. things rolling along, keeping yeah. the smaller problems at bay. If there's something big that comes up, your primary care doc is going to send you to a specialist, right? Like, oh, that rash isn't getting better. I'm going to send you to the dermatologist. Gotcha. Think of integrated care clinicians as being like the primary care doctors of behavioral health. So we focus on what's the problem that's bringing you in. Let's identify a targeted treatment to help you with that problem. We're going to help you change, you know, how you're approaching this with your behaviors. We're going to help you address cognitions. We're going to, you know, all those good things that we as therapists do, but in a very targeted brief way. And if what you need is something bigger, no problem. We'll get you connected with people who do specialty mental health, which is life stance. We call it life stance bread and butter, right? Everybody else in life stance. So we're sort of that first step to really capture these patients, help them get a good first line intervention, and then triage. If they need more, we get them connected to more. Got you. Let's jump back to, you did mention how really working with the entire person, you know, that mind and body. Can you tell me more about that? Why is that so crucial in working with individuals? Um, gosh, um, because people come to you with their entire self, right? Right. No, nobody walks into their, their doctor's office or their doctor's exam room and leaves their, their mind and their emotions and their, you know, that just doesn't, that isn't real. It's, it's silly to even think about it that way. And yet that's how medicine has been treated in a yeah. lot of respects. Um, so the same is true in reverse. I think, you know, if you go back and think about your training, I think about my training. We, I don't know that I was really taught to think about things like, um, you know, this person has uh, is is waking up in the middle of the night and they're having panic attacks. They're waking up in the middle of the night and they're they like feel like they're they're smothering and and they're right. panicking. And no one ever said to me, Emily, make sure you check for sleep apnea because that might be what's happening here. Or this per you know depression uh, going off of the sleep apnea one. Depression oftentimes is. Uh, caused by, or the symptoms overlap strongly with sleep apnea. If somebody is really exhausted. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we aren't really taught in our, in our silos to right. think about the whole person, but when we do, we get, number one, we get a much more complete picture. And number mm-hmm. two, we actually are so much more helpful to the patient, you know? So I can, I, the number of times I have caught sleep apnea that somebody came to me and they, and the doctor said, oh, they're having panic attacks or the doctor said they're really depressed. And I go back and I say, actually, can we treat their sleep apnea? Let's get them tested. I think they need a sleep test and then let's treat it. If it shows up, that happens all the time. Um, Also people who are uh, people who are experiencing a lot of GI distress. I get this one a lot too. What they need is is to treat, you know, unrecognized trauma. They need to treat, they need stress management skills. They need emotional regulation skills. And then, oh my goodness, their GI issues start to feel better. They start to have fewer episodes and fewer flare-ups, you know. Um, So we just can treat people so much better if, if we just consider the entire person. I see your passion as you're speaking about this. 
Well, when did that initially kickstarted this passion into integrated behavioral health care? Was there one thing or a series of things like what? what I love this passion. So what <laughs> kickstarted it? Yeah, we joke, the people on my team uh, and I, we joke all the time, I have zero poker face. Like I, it's written all over me. And you're right, I love this. So that's a great question. Um, when I was just out of my uh, pre-doctoral internship, I, throughout my training, my, my doctoral training, I studied women's body image. That was kind of my, my master's thesis was on that. My, my doctoral dissertation was on that. Um, my internship, I got some training on eating disorder work. So at, in my postdoc, I, I worked at an, a, uh, an eating disorder treatment facility. And that really was the thing that shifted me to this real like recognition of how much your physical state is impacted by your mental state and vice versa. You know, and so much so that we would talk about how this this individual has um, some pretty severe anxiety and also some pretty severe depression, but the medication isn't going to work until we get some weight on them. Yeah. And we don't even know what the symptom picture is going to look like until we get some weight on them. And so it was like, you know, that that just real clear link between your physical state and your mental health that I learned working at the eating disorder clinic. And then just stuck, you know, just yeah. learning to look at things through that lens and then going into other spheres, just regular outpatient work, looking at people who had pain, chronic pain and what that would do to them or um, anxiety and how that manifested in their body. Uh, it just it just was always fascinating to me. And when I looked at people through that lens, I just felt like I could get, number one, a much richer picture and, and a more complete picture. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. You mentioned chronic pain, mm. and that is something that if, if there should be any delivery platform, it really should just be this full approach of the integrated behavioral health care. Um, what have you found is helpful when you're working with patients who have chronic pain? How has that whole platform improved their symptoms? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So much. Um, okay, so I, I really did quite a bit of learning about um, behavioral health treatments for chronic pain when I was a little further along on my pathway, I, I was I went through my first postdoc. I got licensed. I was was doing outpatient work, and then I decided I really want to pursue this integrated care thing full time. So then I went back and I did another postdoc. Wow! At, um, at the VA, where oh, wow. where I learned. I mean, they they have a great program in training people in this. But part of the program that I got to experience at the the Bedford VA. Big shout out to the Bedford VA and in, in Bedford, Massachusetts, they're phenomenal. Um, was about chronic pain. So what we got to learn there was number one, um, how just training people in stress management, when you can decrease the autonomic arousal in your body, how that, you know, if you know anything about gate theory with pain, right? Like closing down those gates, because when you're distressed, those gates are wide open and the pain mm -hmm. signals are infiltrating your brain loud. Right. Right. So if you can quiet down, close those gates a little bit by quieting down the autonomic arousal. So what is that? That's stress management skills. That's breathing. That's mindfulness skills. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's there's just a lot of behavioral, cognitive behavioral strategies that can really help people to actually experience less pain wow. by calming and soothing themselves. And that was that was just a game changer in terms of that mind body connection. Plus, we got to use biofeedback. 
So we were actually using, um, you know, computer computers and other technology to to gather data from people about what's what what impact are you having on your body as you do this calming strategy or doing this mindfulness strategy. Um, and and the way that people were able to change their experience of pain was dramatic. So, Can you talk a little bit more about the biofeedback and how yeah. that works to help people understand why that is such a great uh, platform to use? Yeah, so it really goes squarely back to this idea of what can you consciously do to downregulate your autonomic arousal, right? Okay. What can you do to bring the stress response down in your body? And um, I think people get very freaked out at times about biofeedback at the patients. They feel like, like, what are you doing to me? I don't yeah. want that. It's nothing that we're doing to you. It's just like getting a blood pressure. Well, blood pressure is actually an example of biofeedback. We're looking for data from your yeah. body. That's all. Yeah. So one thing that people will do for, for chronic pain management is actually um, temperature regulation. So you can hold a little, you've probably seen them, these little, little mini um, alcohol thermometers you know, hold a little mini alcohol thermometer in your hands and you can do a visualization and a relaxation uh -huh. exercise where you're imagining your hands warming, like warming oh, by a fire. I love that, Emily. I love that. It's so cool. Uh -huh. And what, you literally can watch the thermometer rise as you raise the temperature in your extremities because you're relaxing, your blood vessels dilate, the blood flow goes into your fingertips and you get that immediate feedback. It's working. I'm relaxing myself. And that's rewarding. It teaches you what is the right thing to do to make it happen. It's so effective. There's lots of other biofeedback, but that's just one. No, but thank you for sharing just that one, because I do think patients get intimidated by what is this? And so I think you just gave a really great example of a very simple thing and how that is, you know, that biofeedback there. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other takeaways you'd like us to know about integrated behavioral health care? Um, you know, what I think I would really love for people to know is that it is a really fun and exciting way to provide behavioral health services. Yeah. Um, the, the reason that people do this, the reason that this is a thing is because of what, what we call the, the quadruple aim, which is we are trying to provide the right treatment to patients, right? Like really focusing on what is the treatment that's really gonna work for what they need at the right cost. So we don't need to throw a full episode of care in outpatient mental health when just this brief model will work. That preserves access, right? So like the people who really need longer term care, we all know right now, you know, everywhere across life stance, waiting less, wait less, like crazy. So access is a real issue. If we can provide the right care at the right cost, so this more minimal kind of form of treatment, we can create more access. It creates a better experience for patients. So, uh, you know, to provide for the satisfaction of patients and also the satisfaction of providers, it makes primary care doctor's job more fun. It, it really is very fun for the behavioral health provider too. Um, and I would just encourage people to consider whether or not this could be something that would, you know, maybe enrich their experience as a provider um, and, and what kind of benefits they might see for, for their clients or even for patients, what kind of benefit you might see for yourself if you were to include behavioral health into the mental or into the medical yeah. um, care. It's really enriching. It's really fun. And wow, does it work. 
Emily, your passion and excitement <laughs> for this is like, I, it's tangible. Like I'm going to do it now. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm like totally down with this. Like, yes, this is what I want to do. I mean, it's, it's great stuff. And I appreciate you sharing everything about this. So to help our listeners and our viewers to understand it more and mm. how it sounds like life stands, we're at the forefront of really, really trying to integrate this into our society. And so important that we do so bringing it all together. Know that yeah. body into the whole individual so important you got it you got it yeah so thank you for your time today and and i'd love to have you back on to talk more about this for sure wonderful i'd love to thanks nikki thank you